Hi there, it's David here and welcome to the distillerytours.scot February podcast. I hope you all had a nice Christmas and New Year. This month it was my absolute delight to uh, interview Ian Stirling, uh, joint owner of the Port of Leith Distillery, one of Scotland's newest distilleries and the world's tallest distillery. Ian tells us about his journey from selling wine in London to co-owning a brilliant gin brand, Linden Lime, sold in over 25 countries and how that came about and also how he ended up co-owning the incredible Port Elite distillery. He tells us about how he got the land, what whiskey we can expect to kind of taste, they've actually got some whiskey to kind of taste at the moment, how he's indebted to the Glasgow distillery to let them use his stills for a couple of days so he could go away and make a big massive batch of his own new make spirit. And it's been an, it was an absolute delight. So please also keep listening right to the end of the podcast because we've now got a new bit on the podcast called Desert Island Drams. And I think it's actually a cracker, to be honest with you. So listen, thanks for taking the time out to listen to it and I hope you enjoy it. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the February edition of DistilleryTours.Scot podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined this month by Ian Stirling, co-founder of the Port Elite Distillery. Ian, absolutely delighted to speak to you. How are you doing? Hello, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast I'm, and I'm doing very well indeed. Thank you very much. No, listen, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to yourself. I'm actually very fortunate that last week I was actually through at your world's tallest distillery. Yes. <laughs> the Port Elite Distillery, which is based in Leith and is making a brilliant impact in the kind of the, 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 the kind of whiskey tourism and the kind of uh, whiskey world. And I'm delighted to say that I went and come through last week and actually done a tour. I'm sure that everybody's desperate to find out how this all came about, who you are and what you are. So could you tell us a wee bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I, I uh, grew up in Edinburgh um, and then uh, went away to university in London where I ended up working for sort of 10 years of my career in the wine trade. And um, my business partner, uh, Paddy, um, he, I was at school with him. We grew up together and he also ended up in, in London in his 20s and he, he went into accountancy and finance and, and became a sort of a finance director for various companies. And all the while, you know, sort of in our 20s, when we were overworked and underpaid, we were getting really into whiskey. And that began by, you know, we used to share a, a horrible flat in Vauxhall together and we'd buy, you know, what, whatever was in discount at Sainsbury's and talk about it. And then we started going to tastings at Milroy's in Soho. And then eventually we, we just thought as a hobby, it'd be quite fun to have a go at sort of uh, making this stuff. So, um, you know, without going into too many details, we, we sort of experimented with elements of whiskey production in our back garden. And it was really from there that the, that the seed was planted, that like, wouldn't it be amazing to make this stuff ourselves? And, you know, working in the wine trade, people always dream of like, you know, owning a vineyard and making wine. And obviously as a Scotsman, um, making wine um, wasn't really uh, going to be too viable. Um, so, you know, began to go, well, maybe we could make whiskey. And we'd sort of identified two opportunities. Um, and number one was in our home city of Edinburgh at the time, there wasn't a single malt whiskey distillery and that seemed like an opportunity. And the other piece was, as we were experimenting with uh, whiskey production, we found like 
that the, the distillation bit, the bit that everyone talks about, was actually relatively simple. You know, there, there weren't too many sort of parameters to play with. You just distill and you have to do it carefully, otherwise you'll blind yourself. But, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of fixed. Where it was, it was the bit before, all the fermentation bit, you know, what yeast do you use, what grain, how long do you ferment for, what ter temperature do you ferment for. There were all these sort of levers that you could pull there, and we didn't know exactly, you know, what was the best way forward. And we thought, you know, we've been on quite a few whiskey tours, and people don't really talk about this bit in very much detail. And it felt like there was an opportunity there. And sure enough, you know, as we began to explore that with people in the industry who knew what they were talking about, they were going, you know, there is something here. You know, the, the, the majority of distilleries are using something called distiller's yeast, which is all about creating lots of alcohol. But actually, if you go back, you know, distilleries used to have a bit more of a relationship with the local brewery and would be using yeast from local breweries. And, and there was an argument that that was creating more flavor. So we had an idea of, you know, if we can make our own whiskey, we could really delve into this as an opportunity and, and explore, you know, how we could make something quite special special by really focusing on yeast and fermentation. And so th that was, those were the two sort of uh, kernels in our mind of, of an idea. And at the time I was um, selling a lot of wine out to, um, uh, well, to supermarkets in the UK, but also to clients out in, in Southeast Asia. And I was having lunch one day with one of our biggest clients from out there. And uh, we sort of got onto future plans and stuff. And I said, well, you know, what I really want to do is build a whiskey distillery. And he went, ooh, I'll fund it. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, Fair enough. Um, so I phoned Paddy and I said, you know, this whiskey thing, I've got a guy who will, who will finance it. And that's what really set us off on this journey. You know, uh, Paddy put together a really big, complicated spreadsheet. We started talking to lots of people in the industry, learning as much as we could. Um, and and slowly but surely leading us on the path that's got us today. Now, that, that initial investor long since disappeared um, uh, for various reasons. And and in the end, we've, we've, we've been on a far more complex journey towards raising the investment. But um, I'll always be grateful to him because uh, we, we, without him, we, we really would never have set off on, on the journey that's taken us to where we are today. So, yeah, and, and, and that was, you know, 2013 that we were, we were messing around in our back garden. Um, we established our company in 2014. And then it was finally in 2017 that, that we managed to secure the site that, that, that our distillery is now standing on and raise our first little chunk of investment. So instead of finding big ticket investors, we decided to sort of raise the money we would need incrementally. So we found our, our, our first sort of seven seed investors who between them invested about £400,000 in, in the company to, to design the big building, secure planning permission, and also establish a little gin distillery on the side. And, uh, and from that point onwards, we were in business. The, the, the kind of small gin distillery has actually grown arms and legs and everything else. And it's now, I mean, if my research is right, I mean, it's, it's you know, exported to over 15 countries just now. Uh, it's actually 25 countries now, actually. It's, 20, it's growing, yeah, yeah. But no, it, it's been, um, yeah, it, it, it certainly grew beyond our, our wildest imagination. And, and it's funny to think, you know, if you go back to 2013, 14, you know, Paddy and I were 100% focused on whiskey. And, and even at the time, you know, the gin boom was taking off and we're going, oh, there's so many gins. We're not going near gin. Uh, let's just focus on whiskey. But after some time, it became, first of all, very clear that it was going to take ages to get this whiskey thing up and running. And we thought we've got to do something in the meantime. And, and we had begun to see maybe an opportunity to do a gin because with all these wild and wonderful new gins that were emerging, we began to think, actually, you know, what we'd like to see is just a really classic benchmark, you know, classic style of gin. You know, no one's, no one's really giving me a gin that is gin, you know, and, 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 and we had some ideas about how it could look and feel and stuff like that. 
And so we, we, we actually found a local producer in Edinburgh called Electric Spirit Co., um, a guy who was making gin basically in a broom cupboard. And we said, look, we, we managed to get a bit of investment. Maybe together, you know, using your expertise, we could set up a little gin distillery. You can expand your production and we can get our, our gin uh, up and running. And so we, you know, having taken that initial investment in 2017, we secured a, a little industrial unit in Leith uh, on Tower Street, right next to the car pound. You know, if you ever had your car towed, you were right next to our distillery. <laughs> and, um, and finally, it, it was a really long process, because if you know Linden Lime, we, we've got quite a distinctive, beautiful bottle, and that took uh, a long 18 months to develop. But it was finally um, right at the end of 2018 um, that we, we, we launched it in November 2018. We, we launched Linden Lime and it just, uh, the reaction just blew us away. Um, and uh, fr from that day onwards, um, much that we were trying to build a whiskey distillery, our main problem was trying to produce enough gin um, to sort of meet, meet demand um, uh, as, we, as we began to sort of uh, grow and grow our distribution. And looking back, you know, a gin that we were never going to make originally is really to a large extent the reason we're here because more than you know uh selling it and making revenues what it did was give investors an awful lot of confidence in paddy and i um thinking you know these two jokers who you could do this yeah exactly you know we, we'd never run a whiskey company before we'd never built a whiskey distillery so you know, it was a big leap of leap of faith to, to to sort of invest in us but with the success of the gin that gave people a lot more confidence and, and helped us raise the investment that we needed to to build the uh the whiskey distillery no, and listen, if um, the, any of the listeners haven't tried Linden Lime gin, they need to try it, to be honest with you. I, I told you just before we uh, started recording there that my sister-in-law, uh, I was fortunate enough to get two bottles. I gave my sister-in-law a bottle who likes one gin at night, and she was saying that she was they had, they had tied a head on two nights um, due to the kind of quality of uh, Linden Lime gin. Yeah. Um, so, but basically, from now on, they'll be buying their own. That that story, that story mainly makes me think I need to be more generous to my sister-in-law. I I, I I don't think I give her nice presents. I'm going to give her a nice present next year. There we go. <laughs> no, l l listen, absolutely. And, and feel free to, to you know, can I include me in that kind of that, that, that gifting that you're going to do as well. I'm joking. Absolutely. But listen, having uh, been along to the world's tallest distillery, which I'm very very proud is uh, in Leith in Scotland. How did you find the site for it? Yeah, that was probably uh, the hardest bit uh, of all because, you know, as we started out, you know, two, two guys with no money behind us at all. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard enough finding a site in Edinburgh to build anything. But, you know, we wanted to build a, a large industrial building. We needed a site where we could make an argument, you know, make the case to investors that, you know, that this would work from a visitor perspective because that was a big part of our business plan. Um, so, so you know, you, you could you could say you will get tourists here, and and but just getting anyone to even engage with us was a nightmare because you know you you'd write to the the people who own the land and and they'd just go who who are you two jokers you know um uh, um so it it was actually. I mean, we did previously have another site that we designed a distillery for, and then we lost the site, and that that was you know part of the sort of twenty thirteen to twenty seventeen sort of uh, hiatus that, that that we got through. But eventually, um, I had a meeting with Edinburgh Council. I said, "Look, I'm, I'm we're trying to find somewhere to build a whiskey distillery," and they said, well, "Have you tried speaking to Ocean Terminal Shopping Centre in Leith?" And I was like, "Well, no, because I don't want to build a distillery in a shopping centre. You know, that was a terrible idea." Um, <laughs> but um, actually, a, a couple of weeks later, the manager of uh, Ocean Terminal shopping center called me and he said look I've got this bit of land you know Edinburgh Council has spoken to me and, and you should have a look at it 
and and I did, and you know, I just immediately went, oh my goodness, that is absolutely perfect. That's perfect. that's that that's it. And and the reason was, it was twenty meters away from the Royal Yacht Britannia, you know, which is is the Queen's former ship that she used to sail around the world in, and um, you know, it gets uh, between three hundred to four hundred thousand visitors a year. And we knew, you know, investors looking at that, they, they might look at Paddy and I and go, I don't know about these jokers and whether or not they can make whiskey, but that site will work from a visitor perspective. And, and to explain, you know, part of the idea of establishing the, the whiskey distillery in Edinburgh was about visitors because whiskey is obviously a very difficult business to break into. You know, you, you, you need to millions of pounds to build a whiskey distillery and then even more money to make whiskey because you can't sell anything for years and years. And so the idea was if we could find the right location in Edinburgh, um, that we could hopefully get revenues from visitors and that would help to pay for the whiskey production and also just establish the brand and, and grow awareness. So so that, that piece with the visitors was, was very key to our business plan. No, and, and of course, and now the trams stop just across the road as well, don't they? Yes, yeah. I, mean, I, I must say, you know, we always thought we'd be way ahead of the trams, but the trams beat us. It actually opened in June and we finally opened in, in October. And to be honest, I'm very grateful they won that race because um, it means, yeah, it's it's a lot, lot easier to get to the distillery, which is fantastic. It's uh, honestly, it is a, 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 and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to the, the guy that owns the company, but it is an incredible building. I mean, it's it's... It just kind of towers there, and uh, you know, it just, you know, it's a, it's a great, great, great addition to the kind of Edinburgh whiskey scene, which has g- grown massively. We kind of like Holyrood and and the Johnny Walker experience, and and these other distilleries and and experiences that have kind of popped up. I mean, Edinburgh, um, you know, never had much in the way of whiskey, but now it's it's it's, it's booming. To be honest with you, yeah, indeed. I mean. You know, it, it, it certainly, you know, in, in my lifetime, you know, it, it wasn't very apparent that whiskey was in Edinburgh, but it, it, it actually was to a large extent. And, and Leith, to, to a large extent, was, was the, you know, the, the epicentre of that. I mean, the, uh, during the 20th century, um, uh, you know, a, a vast uh, quantity of whiskey passed through Leith because Leith was Scotland's gateway to the world. And, um, of course, so, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it was one of the first uh, boroughs in Scotland to get a royal warrant for the bonding of spirits. So as a result, many distilleries sort of set up their bonded warehouses in Leith, and it's in Leith where it would be matured, blended, bottled, and then dispatched to the world. So you know you can obviously still see the old uh, the old warehouses that line the shore in there. They're now a lot of them being transformed into into apartments. But there was an amazing whiskey heritage in Leith, and it was very exciting to be sort of building on top of that heritage. And you know we we, we try and tell some of those stories in our distillery. You know amazing brands like Vat Sixty Nine and. Um, uh, Bailey Nickel Jarvie, Hanky Bannister, um, and and even companies like uh, you know the Distillers Company and uh, you know that became Di- Diageo, um, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, even the SWA, the, you know those companies all have their roots in Leith. So it's 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 an industry that really used to dominate the area and had all but departed by the end of the twentieth century. And and it was it was very exciting to 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 be part of bringing that back to the area. It's great to see new distilleries opening up mm. in, in, in Edinburgh and, 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 and Leith as well, actually. So, could we ask then, Ian, so could you tell us, you've actually done a kind of new make spirit run. Could you maybe tell us a wee bit about that? Yeah, so, so you know, going back to those um, two enthusiasts in the garden, um, uh, experimenting away, and then... It wasn't long before we, we sort of reached out to Harriet Watt University um, with their Institute of Brewing and Distilling. And um, I, I remember that meeting because, you know, they're one of the first people who actually took us seriously, which was kind of extraordinary. They said, you know, yeah, the, there is definitely a, a real opportunity here to look at fermentation and yeast and whiskey production. 
And um, so we managed to set up with them something called a knowledge transfer partnership, which was uh, part funded by the government, um, where we, we did what turned into a three-year research program. Um, and there we looked at uh, all sorts of different yeasts. So yeasts that weren't necessarily normally used in whiskey production. So yeasts that are used in wine production or beer production or rum or sake. And we, we tried 24 of these and, and it was a, a long and painstaking process because you know, you're doing, with each yeast strain, you're doing three trials to make sure you've got a good control. So you're doing a fermentation and a distillation on a tiny little 20 liter still. And by the end of that, we had scores of tiny spirit samples uh, from each of these yeasts. And you know the results really did blow us away. I mean, the the the, the contrasting flavors and, and aromas you got between these spirits, where the only difference was the yeast. You know, it was the same grain, the same fermentation, everything was the same except for the yeast, and the variety was extraordinary. And so, you know, over time we identified our our two favorite um, uh, spirits that we'd created. And then we, we thought, well, the next step is we need to see, can these really function at a commercial level? So we reached out to our friends at Glasgow Distillery, who, who from day one had always been incredibly helpful and supportive to us. And they let us use their equipment to do full commercial runs of these yeast strains. Um, so that, that's actually you know, the, the, the research and experimentation that we're taking with us into the whiskey distillery. And right now, as we're sort of commissioning this distillery and, and preparing to produce our own spirit, um, uh, we, we're, we're serving those spirits to visitors to, to show them, you know, the, uh, and, and the key thing we're trying to show actually is, is two different new makes made from two different yeasts. Um, one is a Belgian alehouse yeast and the other is a Norwegian uh, beer strain. And the contrast between the two uh, spirits, again, where yeast is the only uh, d differentiator, is, is extraordinary. And, and, and we try to use those to illustrate to visitors just what an opportunity fermentation is in whiskey production. Um, so, so yeah, if, if you come to, to the Port of Leith, that's, that's something that, 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 that hopefully you'll, you'll be able to grasp. No, listen, I'm actually, as I'm talking to you, I don't know if you can hear this, I've just uncorked. That's a beautiful the, sound. Yeah, well, the oh, spirit. <laughs> and it's it's actually it smells amazing mm. to be honest with you. This is the 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 first yeast, the boss. What's that? The, one Vosk Feek. Yeah. The the Vosk yeah. yeah. And it smells awesome to be honest with you. And that's available uh -huh. to people to try when they do a tour yes. at the distillery. Yeah, and and as you're demonstrating, you even get to fill a little bottle with it as well uh, when when you're there. So, <laughs> yeah. listen, I, 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 absolutely. So no, it's, and listen, it's brilliant. Can can I just say as well, right? That I've done a number of distillery visits, and some of them are just incredible. I mean, most distilleries are are, are incredible. I, I could actually quite happily spend the best part of two days in a Dunnage warehouse. I just, I just <laughs> love that, that, that yeah. the whole atmosphere and the whole feel of it, to be honest with you. But the views from your distillery, Ian, are, are incredible, mm. to be honest with you. And I think that, um, you know, the, the views from the tasting room, view from the bar, uh, the view from the shop as well. Um, and I'm actually now a proud owner of one of your kind of a Port Elise Distillery t-shirts. Oh, fantastic. Um, not yeah. listen, support supporting the brand. <laughs> but, you know, you, the architect really did do his justice with the views, eh? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to overstate just what a challenging building that was to, to construct. Um, you know, we, we never set out to build a vertical distillery. It, it, it's just a product of this, the, the fact that we had a very small site. And so it became very clear, if you want to make a meaningful amount of whiskey on this site, you're going to have to build upwards. And the, the, there is another vertical distillery in Sweden, uh, McMira, but that is purely a production facility. 
Whereas we really complicated matters by uh, wanting to build a production facility with visitor facilities on the floors above. And um, you know, from, from fire regulations and safety and uh, j j just a structural engineering perspective, it was hugely challenging. Um, you know, we started construction in uh, December 2019. Obviously, there was a global pandemic, etc. But you know, it was only 2023 when we finally managed to open, and and that was you know just working our way through one huge challenge after another. Um, but the, the, the verticality and, and the building we've created as a result um, is, it, it, it is, you know, I'll say it is, it is extraordinary. I still get a buzz every time I'm there. Um, and, you know, the, as you say, the, the views are just mesmerizing. And I, I, I love just looking over the industrial port of Leith and seeing the ships coming in. Um, and, you know, because you get all kind of crazy vessels um, uh, uh, coming into, into Leith, you know, the, the cable laying vessels, drilling vessels, naval vessels. I, I think a lot of us in Edinburgh forget there is this busy port, you know, um, uh, just down the road from us. So it's it's a sight that people don't necessarily expect. But then, of course, you get the beautiful view looking southerly back up to Edinburgh and the skyline of Edinburgh. And then, of course, the Firth of Forth. And, and, you know, you see the weather sweeping in. I, I could just while away the whole day staying, staring out the window. It, it is no, it is beautiful. Yeah. Listen, me too. And, and not only that, but you can actually see the bridges as well. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It's um, and, and what's great fun, actually, is now anyone because you know the flight path into Edinburgh Airport sort of goes along the Firth of Forth so pretty much every single friend of mine or business co uh, colleague or whatever it is I just almost every day get a picture of the whiskey distillery from an airplane um, because you can see it quite clearly from the air as you're flying into into Edinburgh Airport which is which is great fun as well so not listen it's it's absolutely I mean it's a, it's a great addition to the Scotch whiskey industry and Scotland's whiskey tourism you. you know it's I just love it not as in and, and I'm, I'm, again I, I, uh, when we were talking before I just love it when when things are done properly as well you know some you know as it was great you're, you're standing there um, or you get, get a dram in your hand and you're actually looking at the fourth road and rail bridges mm, um, yeah. and there's no many places in the world that that, 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 that kind of have that kind of view. Mm. But what I'm interested now, and what, what everybody else is going to be interested in now, is, is that as far as I'm aware, the stills are going to be getting fired up this week, or is it th th this week or next week you're going to go for your, your first run? Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. So, I mean, in theory, we should have been producing back in October, uh, even in fact, even earlier than that. But um, we, uh, like like many new whisky distilleries, there have been some teething problems. And, and for course. us, uh, the, the predominant problem was, was our gas supply and getting enough uh, pressure and volume. We've managed to sort of uh, to some extent fix that so that we can get going on a on a on a slow basis so you know the commissioning is so they, they actually we did our first milling run on the mill yesterday which is great um and uh first mass should should take place this week you know i, I i'll I, I will celebrate the the spirit run as and when it happens there are still an, a number of things that could happen to prevent it but uh, but hopefully with a fair wind <laughs> we will have some spirit coming off the still very soon um but you know it, it is it's a complicated old thing, you know. The, the, there's a lot of there's a lot of bits and pieces in in, in that building making it happen, and uh, yeah, we'll 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 drink to it when it happens. I think. <laughs> fingers crossed. So, what kind of whiskey then can can we expect from the Port of Leith Distillery? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the reason I I fell in love with whiskey predominantly, and and you know, th this was at a time I was working for a fine wine merchant. I was very lucky to 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 be in in world of you know premium beautiful wines but for me whiskey 
um, you know, surpass them because I, I think as a beverage, it's capable of more complexity than any beverage in the world. It's, it's just exquisite and, and, and extraordinary what, what, what a whiskey can convey, you know, you know, four, five, six different flavors in a, in a, in a single drink and, and such complexity. And so when I dreamt of making a whiskey, um, it, it was that sort of harnessing that complexity to, to, to its fullest extent um, where you can have, you know, delicate primary fruit flavor, flavors of, you know, be it peach or red fruits or, or whatever it might be, layered with, um, you know, a, a tertiary of uh, dried fruits, raisins, um, and then, you know, your, your caramels, your vanillas, and incredibly, incredible length as well. So it, it, for, for me, it's, it's about creating a, a whiskey of beautiful complexity, but also balance, where it's not dominated by any single characteristic. And... The, the way we're sort of trying to achieve that is really by unpicking every bit of the production process. So, you know, I, I, I spoke about the, the yeast trials that we did, but another, uh, another couple of things we've done. So uh, first of all, all of our grain is going to be coming from a single farm just outside Edinburgh, um, a farm next to Hannington called Upper Bolton Farm. Now, to begin with, we're just going to be using the, the, the barley they grow, which is beautiful laureate barley. But in the future, we can talk about different varieties of barley and, and, and how it's grown and, and try to enhance our spirit through that. And then on the other end, um, you know, at, at the maturation front, rather than just sort of picking up casks from, from brokers and finding wood where we could, we decided let's find the very best cast we could. So we, we decided to go out and find the best sherry producer we possibly could. And not only do we are we going to use their, their casks, but we're also uh, importing their sherry, you know, uh, Oloroso sherry, uh, Manzanilla, uh, Pedro Jimenez. And, and we did the same with a port producer as well. Um, we uh, found bourbon casks from a, from a small distillery in, in, in New York called Kings County, who again, Paddy and I visited several years ago and were a huge inspiration to us. So we, we've tried at every level along the production process to, to optimize and, 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 and find the, you know, how can we enhance the flavor of this spirit as possible? And I guess that the key characteristic, I think, the defining element of, of Port of Leith is that whilst most whiskey distilleries out there um, seek to create, you know, uh, define a style and stick to it and, 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 uh, and, and achieve consistency, which is in itself a very, very difficult thing to do, um, we want our whiskey to evolve. Um, and I'm not talking about like wild fluctuations, you know, from a peated style to a non-peated. Port of Leaf will always be unpeated. Um, but we, 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 you know, in any given year, we might learn, oh, we, if we ferment this way, you know, we're creating more of this kind of flavor. If we change our wood strategy this way, it's going to enhance it. If we swap in this grain, it's going to enhance it. And so we've decided in the future, we're going to be uh, releasing our whiskey in vintages. Um, so, you know, everything we make in one year will be matured for a set number of years and then released as that vintage, etc., uh, etc. Et so you should see the Port of Leaf single malt evolve slightly and really with an endeavor to make a better and better and better whiskey over the years and decades um, that, 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 that we exist. Listen, and can I just say as well that um, it's part of the tasting that we actually done um, when I was actually through um, last week. I actually tried your port. Oh, yes, yeah. And I can honestly say, hand in heart, that it is one of the best ports I've ever had in my life. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I must say the, the port is one of my favorite things in the world. And, and th I mean, that used to be my job was going out into the world and, and finding these producers who are off the radar and presenting their wines to people like Marks and Spencers. And when we came across uh, Martha's uh, estate who, who, who make our port, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited. I was like, this is a diamond. Um, and their tawny port is just exquisite. Uh, I love it to pieces. Yeah. 
No, listen, I, I, I'm absolutely concur with that, to be honest with you, so much so that I actually bought a bottle and a T-shirt. Oh, my goodness, well, we did well from you that day. That's great. Well, That's listen, up, listen up, absolutely, to be honest with you. But listen, it's been an absolute and utter delight speaking to you. Now, this bit of the podcast, we're adding a wee bit called Desert Island Drams. So I was going to ask you just a couple of wee questions about yourself, just to kind of finish off this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um what I would say to people that have not visited the Port Leith distillery is go, because it is worth uh, every penny to actually get there. Um, it's a great part of the world as well, and it's a brilliant kind of one you need to kind of tick off your bucket list as well. So if I could ask you, we kind of spoke before, what would be you seeing? what would be your kind of, and I know that this can fluctuate as well, but what, what kind of three whiskies? Do you really enjoy? What would be your favourite three whiskies at the moment? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I, I, I think I think one of my my key aspects here is uh, these are all going to be affordable whiskies because um, you know much though I run a, a, a whisky company, I'm still not in a position where I can afford a lot of the the, the wonderful premium stuff that people talk about, and I, but for me it's a big thing about you know keeping whisky affordable, so it's a, it's attainable Absolutely. to people. Um, I think uh, I, I would always start with Brick Laddie. Um, they, they've been a huge inspiration to us. Um, I, I, I've always loved the Laddie, and um, I, I, I think it's, it's got, it's a beautifully delicate, balanced, complex whiskey. And uh, I think everything about that company, um, you know, the way they came into such a, an established traditional world and, and, and really enhanced it, I think. Um, and, and, and we've been very fortunate that one of its founders, Simon Coughlin, has been a real mentor to us as well. So Brickladdy would definitely be up there and, and one that I, I love to buy. Um, the next one I'm going to choose is, um, you know, I, I used to, um, uh, to travel the world um, a lot for my wine job. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I was a bit homesick or, or uh, just, just trying to get some downtime in a, in a bar in Hong Kong or, or Beijing or something like that, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but I, I love just treating myself to a 10 year old Laphroaig um, because, because the, you know, the smell just, just brought me straight back to Scotland. Um, and uh, it's, it, uh, I love it. And, you know, I was talking about the art of consistency. My goodness, you know, you, you can always rely on that whiskey um, to deliver exactly what you're expecting. So I, I, I love Laphroaig very much. And then I guess <laughs> I, I'm tempted to choose one of our own whiskies at this stage. Um, so um, I would, you know what, I'm going to do it because I'm so proud and excited that we've, we've got our own whiskies out now as well. So, you know, we, we have the Port of Leith Distillery, we've got the Linda Lime Gin, but we also established the Leith Export Company um, where we create our own proprietary brands and we've got our own champagne. And then we, we have a Perpetuity Whiskey and Table Whiskey. And Perpetuity in particular, I, I, I love a lot because I think it sums up our company because it's a beautiful product, incredibly complicated to make and almost totally uncommercial, where we took the idea of an infinity bottle, you know, where people put the, uh, you know, the last 10% of all their bottles of whiskey into a decanter and you make this blend. And we thought we'd do that on a commercial level. So we buy 10 casks from different distilleries, blend those together, that was, uh, and then bottle 50% of it, and that was batch one. And then we added some more casks into the blend blended that together and bottled 50% of that and was ba- that was batch two. And I love the, 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 the spirit we created. I love the idea of it. I love the, the, the way that all the talented, clever people in our company came together to create that. And um, it's, uh, I'm just, and I was just so excited when we were finally able to bottle and sell our own whiskey. So, uh, and it's very naughty, but I'm gonna include that as my number three. <laughs> no, listen, but listen, being you've got every right to do that. Fair <laughs> taste at your table whiskey as well, and that was excellent. Yeah, no, that that's 
Table whiskey was basically actually the, the, the spirit for that, which all comes from um, a North British distillery, partly matured in virgin oak and partly in, in ex-sherry uh, casks. Um, and that was quite a big constituent of um, Perpetuity Batch 1. But again, God, this stuff is so good. We should just bottle it in its own right as a single grain. And Paddy and I, uh, my business partner Paddy, we, we, we'd always had this concept of table whiskey. You know, you've got table wine. And we thought, you should have table whiskey, which is, you know, it's unpretentious, it's unassuming, but, you know, it's, it's always, it's just great quality. Um, and, you, you know, without trying to be overstated in any way. You know, you go to a restaurant and you go, oh, the pizza there is terrible, but my God, the table wine's fantastic. And that, that was the kind of product we wanted to make. Um, so, um, yeah, again, you know, we, we got that out in, in October and it is it's really lovely stuff. It's, it's so nice. So um, I'm, I'm glad you got to taste it. No, listen, I, 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 absolutely, to be honest with you, it, it's, 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 it's not a bad dram at all. So, you're doing a tasting. What four people would you want with you at the tasting? Right, okay. There is going to be people alive or dead, but obviously kind of the caveat is is that, of course, you would want your wife and your kids there, um, but you wouldn't want them drinking whiskey. I'm not maybe your wife, but, you know, so that, 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 that that's a given. We're kind of talking about kind of maybe kind of um, four whiskey people maybe are kind of four people. Yeah, sure, okay, so... I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to bring Paddy along um, because um, I must say running this business with him is very good fun. And uh, we we have a relationship where we're able to argue an awful lot, have a blazing row um, and then crack on with things. Um, and, it, and it is very good fun. And um, uh, yeah, running a business with a, with a good friend of yours is great fun. And uh, I think we'd have uh, we, we'd find something to do on the uh, desert island together as well. Um, Another person I probably like there is, uh, and, and who's loomed very big in my life, is my my former boss, Cliff Roberson, who ran Roberson Wine. Um, and th this is a guy, he was one of the first people to import Chilean wine into the UK and actually made a lot of money doing that. And and then set, uh, that, that was with a different company and then set up his own his own company, Roberson Wine as well, that I worked for. And Cliff, Cliff, uh, you know, he looked like more like he should be in the Rolling Stones than running a fine wine company in London. <laughs> and he'd always go, Ian, give us a go at that. You know, this is good gear, this stuff. It's great. The Chateau Lafitte. And, um, and uh, I wouldn't be here without a doubt if it wasn't for him. And he's super entertaining. He's got so many stories. So, so he would make life on a desert island um, a, lot more, a lot more bearable. Um, I guess, you know, my third person, uh, this might seem a bit controversial because I know you rub some people up the, the wrong way. But, you know, when, when I look at sort of, uh, you know, well-known figures out there, I've always been, uh, someone I really, really like and look, look up to is Jamie Oliver. Um, uh, you know, when, when you're out there trying to create products and, and start businesses and stuff, there's a lot of naysayers, there's a lot of negativity, there's lots of people, you know, who, who, who you know, just can't wait to see you fail or, or put you down. Of course. And, and Jamie Oliver, you know, he's been through all of that, but he's relentlessly positive and incredibly proactive. And I, I think he's, he's been such a force of good. And it so happens one day he tweeted about our gin saying how, how fabulous he thought it was as well. So, you know, um, he, he can, he can, he can uh, join us and sort of just say, say nice things about us, um, I think. And then finally, you know, for those really deep and meaningful chats um, uh, and, and someone who really liked a lot of whiskey, I probably have to bring Christopher Hitchens a lot uh, because I, I've always enjoyed his books. Uh, you know, he 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 was a a famous uh, sort of journalist and and uh, I guess you could say philosopher and uh, and a well-renowned atheist as well. He wrote, wrote lots of books and, and died um, uh, must be 10, 10 or fifteen years ago now. Uh, fascinating guy. Loved Johnny Walker Black Label. Sadly, a bit too much. Um, but um, I, I think I would love to 
lie on the beach and chat with him uh, to, to wallow away the days. So there we go. That, 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 would, that would be a very entertaining crowd to hang out with. Listen, yeah. I, I, and I would kind of, you know, I'd love to, to, to be a fly in the wall there, kind of listening to that, to be honest with you. It sounds, it sounds incredible. <laughs> um, last question. You're allowed to take a whiskey book with you. What, what whiskey book would you take with you? Yeah, I was split here. I, I, I think, I think I pr- it would probably have to be the malt whiskey yearbook because... It, and I know that that almost you know flits between a book and a magazine, but um, I, I I read it cover to cover every year. I, I love it to pieces. The first time we were mentioned in it was one of the most exciting moments of the last decade to me, and it, it's just endlessly fascinating. And I think I think you know I I could read it again and again. So it is it, that I'm going to give an honourable mention as well to to my Schweppes book of whiskey, um, which I know a lot of whiskey fans out there. Um, you know, if you've got a copy, you know. Uh, just, just what a valuable, special thing it is. They're, they're, I think they're getting harder to find out there because you know it's been out of print for a long time. But it's a sort of bible of of all the different distilleries you know uh, that that ever used to exist. And for someone like me who's become quite intrigued by the heritage of whiskey, particularly in Leith and and uh, and elsewhere, it's uh, it's just uh, an endlessly fascinating book. So. Yeah, and maybe I'm not allowed to take the yearbook because it's more of a, a magazine. So maybe it's got to be the Schweppes, but a book of whiskey. No, listen, absolutely. Listen, I, I would just like to thank you for for taking part in the Storytools.scots podcast series. And I would say as well to to anybody that's again anybody that's listening to this, is make a date this year to go and see the Port Leith Distillery because it is well worth it. Hi there, and thanks very much for listening to this month's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. To find out about uh, Port Leith's products, go to leithdistillery.com where you'll see a complete list of other whiskey and, as I can't emphasise the fact enough, their incredible sherry as well. Next month, I'm speaking to Lucas Dubrovnik, Global Brand Ambassador for International Beverages, and we'll be talking all things Balblair, Speyburn, Pulteney and Noctu. To be the first to listen to get access to the podcasts, go to www.distillerytours.scot forward slash sign up. To book a tour at the Port Leith Distillery, go on to the website distillerytours.scot, click on the listing and then click on the book now button and go and enjoy yourself.